like for you to turn to Psalm chapter 42. For the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about this subject. Back from the brink. Have you ever stood on the brink of disaster? I mean, you knew that you were so close that if God didn't help you and didn't help you soon, that you were going to be in a world of hurt. I, I want to share with you the message from chapter 42 that, that explains to us that we all go through these processes. If you guys could give me a little more monitor up here, I would appreciate it. Um, we've all been there in our lives. We've all been to a place where we know that if God doesn't come through for us, we, we're in big trouble. But in this psalm, we're going to see uh, the realities of our difficulties, but then we're also going to see how important that it is for us to move toward the victory that God has for us. So we're going to read the entire chapter. It's a short chapter. So uh, go to Psalm chapter 42, beginning at verse 1 with me. It says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, Soul pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember. As I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad, glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. And all of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? And why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. And while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Father, thank you for your word as we've read it today. I believe that as we just read it, it has already stirred souls. And lives are already beginning to change because of the word of God. And Lord, I pray that you'll help me to communicate effectively today the message that you have birthed in my spirit. Knowing this, that when it goes forth, it represents your word. And you said that your word would never return to you void, but will in every instance accomplish all that you have desired that it should accomplish. So I stand in that promise right now, knowing that your word is powerful and it will change lives today. And I pray in just a few moments as we come to these altars and pray that you will touch us and strengthen us and give us the victory, Lord God, that is already reserved for us through Jesus Christ. And bless us today, Lord, as we bless you with our praise. 
In Jesus' name, amen and amen. As I've already alluded to, most of us have at some point in our lives been in a situation where that if God did not come through for us, there literally was no hope whatsoever, at least from the human point of view. In our flesh, it's easy for, to look at, for us to look at our circumstances and say that they are greater than my source, but they are not greater than our God. And if we can somehow focus our faith on the promises of God, and as the song that we sang a few minutes ago says, his promises are yes and amen. Now, I'm glad to know that. That word amen simply means let it be so. So if God says something, then all we have to do is agree with the fact that he has said it and it will come to pass in our lives in his timing and in his way so that victory can be ours. So let's look at the history of Psalm chapter 42. Now, first of all, let me just, uh, just share with you that Psalm chapter 42 is the second section in the collection of Psalms. Uh, chapter 1 through uh, chapter 41 is all in the first collection. So 42 begins the second collection of Psalms that are written for us. In the first section of Psalms, the writer is mostly David. You'll see Solomon sprinkled in there somewhat. But when you get to chapter 42 in this next section, uh, you you see very little uh, of, of the Psalms that were authored by David or Solomon, but there were others that were involved in the writing. Now today, the scripture very clearly says to us that it is a, a, a psalm that is written by Korah, Well, the sons of Korah. Well, who are the sons of Korah? Well, you may remember in the Old Testament that there was a, a rising up against Moses. There, the, the one who led that, that insurrection against him was a man named Korah. And God judged Korah and all who were on his leadership team. And he destroyed them. But obviously, the offspring, the sons of Korah, were not, were not judged by God. They were allowed to live. And they were not only allowed to live, but they were put in a position so that they were the ones who literally led the worship in the house of God. They were part of the Levites. And so for you to understand this, you might picture our praise and worship team who came here this morning. I already referred to them as Levites this morning. That just simply means that they're from that group of people that their job was to come in and to lead the house of God into the presence of God. So uh, the sons of Korah found themselves in a position, as we'll see in just a few moments, where they were no longer allowed to do what God had called them to do. They had been removed by the enemy. They had not only been removed and unable to fulfill their purpose, but they had been literally moved from the house of the Lord and made to go and live outside of the city. So they were destitute. And it's in that setting that they began writing this song. The scripture tells us that it is a miskel. It is a, it is a liturgy. It is a song that they write together the sons of Korah and they tell us about the troubles that they are facing. 
So let's look, first of all, at the concerns of their situation. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, they, they, they talk about being thirsty for the presence of God. And so the first thing that we see here is that there is a thirst in our soul to be in the presence of God. In verses 1 and 2, let's read it again. It says, As the deer pants for flowing streams... So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul is thirsty for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So he's saying that I'm thirsty for God. Now, thirst is something that that comes uh, when something has been depleted from our bodies. We get thirsty when we haven't had enough water. We thirst for what we need in our body. Now, if you know much about fasting, we're told that you can, you can go without food for approximately 40 days at a time without it doing damage to your body. But anytime, uh, anything over 40 days can be very unhealthy. Now, that's not always the case. Everybody has a different metabolism, but as a general rule, 40 days is about the end of what a body can take without food. But water is a very different situation. You need water in your body at least every three days. You can't go beyond three days without drinking water. Because if you do, your body begins to shut down. You become dehydrated. And dehydration can affect you in many different ways. It can cause you literally to go crazy. It can, it can cause your mind to begin to see things. And, and, and it, it causes your entire body to shut down. And you have to get water into your body if you're going to be refreshed and restored to health. So this idea of thirsty is, is that the sons of Korah are saying that we've been, we've been outside of the sight of God for too long. We know that we have been outside of his presence for too long. They even say, oh Lord, how long will it be before we can stand in your presence? The literal uh, translation here means, Lord, how long will it be before we see your face? Have you ever been away from somebody that you loved and that you cared about? Maybe your spouse had been gone on a business trip or your family was not able to accompany you to, to a particular place and you begin to miss them. And back in my day, we didn't have FaceTime and cell phones. I remember when Donna and I were separated for a period of time. Uh, there's a long story behind that, but we were still dating, but we weren't in the same location. And I was in Tennessee, and she was in California, and we didn't have any cell phones, and we did not have FaceTime. And the only thing that we could do is in the dormitory, go down to the end of the hall and get on the pay phone when it was our time, and we could, we could talk to one another. And Donna's never been one to really like to talk on the phone very long, even to this day. If I call her, I have to say what it is I need to say, because I know she's not going to be on there very long. She's going to say, uh-huh, thank you, okay, bye now. And she'll just hang up the phone and be gone. That's just the way she is. It, it's funny, though, that that never happens when the grandbabies are on the phone. I'm not sure why that is, but I'm not going to get into it tonight or this morning. But, but, but this, this thing would grow in us 
as we had think about missing those people that were out of our lives, people that we had learned to love, people that we had a wonderful relationship with, but we couldn't see them. And, and we could only talk to them maybe once a week. And, and so you begin to get thirsty for the companionship of that person or that child that you, that you love so dearly. And, and so they're talking about thirst. They're talking about being at a place where I've been separated from the presence of God for so long that I know that I need to get into his presence. I'm thirsty for the company of God. For some of you today, that's your problem right now. The only time you ever come into the presence of God is when you come to the house of God. But let me tell you something. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He is with us at all times. He goes everywhere we go. He is inside of us. You don't have to wait till you get to the house of God to worship the Lord. We come together to worship corporately, but you can worship every day, every moment of your life by simply, simply acknowledging the fact that he is there. So he talks about this great level of thirst, and then he talks about the tears. Notice verse 3. He says, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So what he's saying is, is that the tears that are running down my cheek are the only thing feeding into my mouth. I'm not tasting any uh, beans and cornbread. I'm not tasting any broccoli casserole. I'm not tasting any peach cobbler. I'm, I'm not tasting anything but salt, salty, wet tears that, that is coming down my face and leaking into my mouth. When I want to taste pie and when I want to taste a, a filet and when I want to taste a salad with ranch dressing on it, when I want to taste the fine things, uh, my palate is only tasting uh, the bitter tears that are flowing down my face and into my mouth. He's talking about the saltiness of life and how that there are times in life that it's hard to get to a place where we are experiencing the good things of life. My wife and I yesterday decided we'd drive down south of Louisville to a little restaurant called The Whistle Stop. Anybody ever been there? Can I see your hands? Great place to eat. And we got down there and the menu looked good. Everything on the menu looked good to me. And they came back and they said, are you ready to give your order? I said, I need another minute. And they'd come back, I need another minute. And I'd say, all right, I got it narrowed down to two. I want the fried ham or I want the fried fish. Which is it? And I know some of you healthy people are out there saying, oh, dear God, Lord, you, our pastor going to have all this fried food. And they said, hey, listen, just give me my moment in the sun. It was good. I'll be all right. I said, I want the fried catfish. I said, instead of the French fries... I want, to, I want onion rings. And in, instead of the slaw, bring me some lima beans. I put my order in and I just sat back and I'm ready to go. I mean, I'm building up the, the anointing of the Spirit in me. And I'm, I'm ready to start eating. And, I, and, and then when it came, I'm telling you, oh, it was good. <clears throat> I wasn't thinking about tasting tears. I wasn't thinking about being depressed. I wasn't thinking about what the people next to me were doing. The only thing I was thinking about was fried catfish and onion rings and lima beans. And how many of you are ready to dismiss right now and go to the, go to the restaurant? It was good. And then at the end, they said, would you like to have dessert? And I said, yeah. Now you're going to laugh at me. 
you're going to laugh at me when, you, when I tell you what I ordered. I said, I want the no sugar added <laughs> peach cobbler. And the lady said, do you, want, do you want ice cream on top? And I said, you better believe it. They looked at me like I'd lost my mind and my wife just shook her head like, what, what a crazy man. But that's what I had and it was good. And let me tell you something, when you're eating high on the hog, you're not, you're not thinking about the tears that you've been tasting. You're not thinking about the difficulties. You're not thinking about the saltiness of life. You're thinking about the goodness of the provision that is before you. But let me tell you something, you don't eat fried catfish every day. And you don't eat fried onion rings every day. And you don't get lima beans every day. And you don't get... No sugar added peach cobbler every day. You don't get that every day. Some days you just get a, a, a little sandwich that has mold on it and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And it, sometimes life throws you a, a, a meal that you don't want to eat. And that's what the sons of Korah are saying. They're saying the thing that makes these tears so bitter is because we remember the good times and we remember the good blessings and we remember all that God has done for our life. But in this season, right now, we're outside of the camp feeling left out from the presence of God. And the only thing that we can taste is the bitterness of our tears. And then they talk about the turmoil in their life. Look at verses 5 and 11. Verse 5 says, why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. And number 11 says the same thing. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Now, how many of you have ever been in turmoil? Can I see your hands? You know what we're talking about when we say turmoil. The sons of Korah identify at least three things that are bringing and causing turmoil in their life. And the first one is that there are the, it is the detractors that are around them. The people around them that are feeding negativity in their lives. Notice what, what verse 4 says. Verse 4 says... These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God and, and lead them in, in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, multitude keeping festival, and then go on down and you shall see that they're talking about these people who are, who are making fun of them for that atmosphere of worship and praise and believing in God. Now, now, scholars think that there are at least three groups of people that they're referring to. And the first group would be those who don't believe in God at all. We call them atheists. We believe, there are people who say, you're crazy to believe in any kind of God at all. There's no such thing as a God. We're all out here on our own. We weren't created by anything or anyone. There is no God. And it's possible that there were those who were feeding into them this negative idea that no matter how hard you believe, you're wasting your efforts because there is no God. And then the scholars believe that it could be a second group of people, and that is a group of people who believe in a different God than they believe in. And so they're trying to say to them, our God is greater than your God. Our God is better than your God. Our God is able to beat your God every time. 
And so it's interesting when we think in Scripture about the times that any other God tried to stand against our God. When they tried to put Dagon in the same room with the Ark of the Covenant, it did not bode well for Dagon. Because every morning when they would go in to check out Dagon, he would have fallen over in the night. And, uh, and then he started breaking up piece by piece. Uh, and they realized that it was futile to stand their fake God up to our God. And so there are times in Scripture that it's very clear that there is no God beside our God. Think about the prophet who went on Mount Carmel, and he's there with the prophets of Baal. And they decided they'd have a little contest and see whose God was bigger and whose God was better. And the prophet said, you go first. And they made the altar there, and they, they, uh, they put the sacrifice, and they agreed to, to agree that whosoever God was truly God would answer with fire from the heavens. And so the prophets of Baal, they began doing all their incantations and their chants. And scripture says they started cutting themselves and calling out to their God and saying, we need for you to bring fire down from the heavenlies. And Elijah then started taunting them. Where's your God? Why, why didn't he show up? He's probably in the bathroom taking a break. You know, he's probably sleeping. He's probably resting. Where's your God? And after he had put up with, with that for a while, he shoved them out of the way and he said it's fine it's time for us now to find out whose God is the real God and he took the altar and he put more water on it and he wet the sacrifice down he did everything that he could possibly think of to create an environment where God would fail because he knew that God would not fail and so he began to pray and it's amazing, in 63 words, the prophet of God calls down fire from the heavens and the, and the altar, the sacrifice is consumed by the God of the heavenlies. And then, of course, it was declared that he was God and all the prophets of Baal were slain that day. Let me tell you something today. There is no God like our God. There is no circumstance greater than our God. There is no sickness better than our God. There's no depression that can outlast the joy of our God. Our God is high. He is mighty. He deserves to be exalted and lifted up because there is no God like Jehovah. Amen. So the detractors came and they just, they just discouraged them. And then there, there's group. They're not atheists and they don't really serve other gods, but they're just a pain in the neck. They may be Christians, but they're a pain in the neck. Can I ever know anybody like that? Man, I've had them in the churches where I've pastored before. No matter what you're doing, they always got a negative idea about what it is. Well, I don't know, pastor. I don't know if we should. Do I don't know about this. I don't know about that. And yet, you know people like that. You may be living with someone like that. Every morning when you wake up, they got some negative word to say. They got some negative attitude that you have to deal with every day. It's real hard to walk around in an attitude and in an atmosphere of worship when you got somebody following you around and dragging your soul down into the pits of hell, it seems. 
and you got to deal with it. You've got to deal with that. And that's what the sons of Korah are saying. They're saying everybody around us is either saying there is no God or your God is not the right God. Or even if your God is the right God, look what God is doing to you. Look how he has let you down. Look how God has set you aside. Look how God has deserted you. Look at how weak your God is. Your God is almost dead. Your God is almost over with. No, you've got you've to pull yourself together. And in that atmosphere, you've got to understand that these detractors cannot determine the level of faith that I will live with. The detractors. And then they talk about the distance. Notice verse 6. Verse 6 says, In my God, my soul is cast down within in me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon and from Mount, Mount Mazar. Now, here's what happened. I told you earlier, they took them out of their position in the house of God. And because they had been taken out of their position in the house of God, they could not fulfill their purpose for life. They were the Levites. They were to lead people in worship. They were to lead people in the presence of God. They had the skill to do that. They had the anointing to do that. They knew how to do the things that God had called them to do because God had anointed them to do it. But they now could not do it because they had been removed from their place. Let me tell you, the devil wants nothing more than to keep you from fulfilling your purpose in life. God has created you with a purpose. God has created you with a plan for your life. And God wants you to succeed in whatever it is that God has called you to do. You say, well, God didn't call me to preach. God didn't call me to pastor. God didn't call me to sing. God didn't call me to play an an instrument. But did God call you to love your wife? And did God call you to love your husband? Did God call you to raise your children? in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord? Did God call you to do what it is that you're doing with your life? God has given you a purpose in life. And when you've been displaced by the enemy around you, you cannot fulfill the purpose that God has for you. I remember a season in my life. It's been a few years ago and it's before I came here. But I was so discouraged in my own calling and so discouraged in my own place and in where I was. I had someone in my life who was preventing me from being the man that God wanted me to be. They were over me in the Lord. I had to submit to their authority over me. And I was in a place where I was disturbed Because I knew that God had called me to preach. I knew that God had given me and placed an anointing in my life. But I was in a position where I could not fulfill the purpose that God had given me. And as a result, I allowed that thing to take me deep down. I didn't sin. I didn't commit any sin. I didn't fail against God. I just was so discouraged and disappointed and depressed because I could not do what God had called me to do. And I wasn't preaching. And when a preacher doesn't preach, let me tell you something. That's about the worst place that you can be. Some of you have been called to sing, but you haven't sang for years. 
You're as miserable as you are going to ever be until you start allowing that gift in you to rise up and rise out of you. I was in that place. I couldn't preach and I couldn't do what I needed to do. And as a result, I was discouraged and I was down and I was depressed. There were people who would call me and want me to come preach. And, and I had this mentality that if I go and if I preach, this person that's out to get me, they're going to hold everything I say against, the, against me. And they're going to believe that what I'm saying is referencing them. And so I just stopped preaching. I was like the prophet in the Old Testament. I said... I'll never preach again. But then something happened in me, Brother Danny, that I could not resist. There was a fire shut up in my bones that I just couldn't keep in there. It started rising up in me and rising up in me. And I discovered that I cannot go through life not fulfilling the purpose that God has placed in my life. And I started taking appointments. And I started preaching again. And I could see that it was the release of that gift in me that was moving me to a new place and a better place where God could use me. And now I'm here. And some of you wish I wouldn't preach so much. But I can't stop preaching because I've got that joy in my soul. Amen. So he's talking about a distance. They were, they, were, they, were, they were watching from a distance. Watching from a distance. And then, then he talks about deep despair. Verse 7. He said, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls and your breakers and your waves have gone over me. How many of you ever gone to the ocean? And you get out in the ocean, and there's something about that, the, the, the pattern of the waves coming in, and you can get up and ride those waves. But those waves, as they go back out, they will, they'll grab a hold of you if you're not careful, and they'll begin to pull you back into the water, pull you back in to the, to, to the, uh, to the movement of the water, and, it, and it's over you, and then it just keeps going. I remember when I was a kid going one time. We, we were from the Holiness Church, you know, so we couldn't wear swimming suits and things like that. When we went to the beach, we had to look like idiots when we were there, but we, we didn't care. And, it, and if they did allow us to wear the, the long shorts, you know, we used to call them jams. You remember those? When they would let us do that, they'd hold up a sheet in front of everybody so that when we pulled our top clothes uh, down uh, to reveal our bottom clothes, nobody could see us undressing in public. I remember I'd get out there as a, as a kid and get in those waves and feel the pull of that current pulling me back. And if you're not careful, you can get way out in there. And then the current just sucks you out and sucks you out and sucks you out. I don't know if you've ever seen a waterfall and you look down at the base of the waterfall and you can see where the water is going down in there and the water goes and it creates um, this current that just pulls things back into it and you go down and you go down and you go down and if you're not careful you can get caught in that current and literally drown and your life will be over. So what what the sons of Korah are saying is, is that's the way our life is right now. It seems like that every time we get to the place where we think victory is here, every time we get to the place where we think we finally made it, every time we get to the place where we think God has brought us through, that current just keeps bringing us back and bringing us back and bringing us back. And then they make this statement, deep cries out to deep. What in the world does that mean? We just sang about it just a few minutes ago. But what what they're saying is, And here's what they're revealing 
is they're saying that when you go into the deep and the deep calls for you to come back into the deep again and the deep calls you to come back into the deep again and you can't break that cycle, the deep brings you down. The deep brings you down. The deep brings you down. What they're trying to let you know is, is that even in the depths of the deep, God is there for you. You are not alone. God is in the depths of whatever you're going through. Did not God say, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He is with us always and every. He is in us. So let me tell you something. If the current of your circumstance keeps calling you down into deep waters, you're not going there alone. You're not going there by yourself. The spirit of the living God is there with you. And even though you think uh, that you're going down for the last time, uh, the spirit of the living God will raise you up and put you back on dry ground. So deep despair. So what do you do with all this? What do you do with all this? We talked about the concern, but now let's talk about the challenge. And let me just begin by saying That if you're not involved in the process of overcoming, you'll never overcome. I think sometimes we just want God to do everything magically in our lives. We just want to pray and we just want God to just zap us with magic. God, if you'll just do this for me, just do it. Boom. We don't realize that there are times that we have to be involved in the process that brings us to a place of victory. And so the sons of Korah had a decision to make. They had a decision that they could either wallow in their discouragement. And we all know people who do that all the time, right? They just wallow in it like a pig in mud. They just turn over one way and turn over another way and just get mud all over them. And they just live that way. You wash a hog clean and they'll go right back out to the mud hole. I know people like that. Amen. They just love to wallow in the mud of despair. But what he's saying is, is that that you can either wallow in the mud or you can pull yourself up by the grace of God and you can get out of the place where you are. So how do you do that? Well, the first thing is they remembered. Go to verse four with me. They started looking back. And here's what he says. These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Now he's looking back to a day where all was well with his soul, where all was good. You know, it's not, it's not hard when you're around Pentecostals. You, get, you, start, you start getting them remembering what the old days used to be like. Say, oh, bless God, I remember when the choir used to get singing and the, 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 what do you call it, the organ started playing and the piano started playing and the tambourine started shaking. It wasn't uncommon for us to jump up and start running around the, the church. And we jump up on the backs of the pews and walk on the backs of the pews. Some of you are glad we don't do that anymore because you'd have to move to the side when somebody came by. And take long to start remembering the good times and the fun times and how that there was victory. I, I remember laying on pallets on, on Sunday night. We had church on Sunday night and we weren't allowed to miss. It didn't matter if you were sick or not. Mom and dad, they'd say, you're going to church, son. I don't care if you're dying, you're going to church. There's no better place for you to die than in the presence of the healer. We went to church. 
And I remember thinking, I'd laying on that pallet on the side and I'd, I'd look across the floor and see all those high heels that the ladies would wear. Ladies always wore high heels back in those days. They didn't come to church without high heels. And some of them had really high heels, you know, and they'd start running. We had a few, they'd kick their shoes off before they'd start running. But some of them just keep those high heels on and they'd come around the corner. I'd be laying on the pallet and I'd think, I'd think to myself, I don't have pierced ears. But I'm about to get my ears pierced when that lady comes running by and sticks that high heel in my... I had all kinds of things that went through my head. And then the bobby pins would start flying and they'd start coming out of those high, high, you know, hairdos up. And, and after church was over, we'd have a contest with the kids and get on the floor and see who could collect the most bobby pins when church was over. I'm telling you, we had time. We'd do Jericho marches. Sister Norma, she'd say, if you want to do them, uh, Jericho March, just let me know. She said, I know we got a back pew that blocks us getting around, but I'll move that pew. And if you knew Sister Norma, she could do it. She could break your knuckles just shaking your hand. We start remembering all that kind of stuff and thinking about Ray Hughes and Floyd Lahan and all those kind of people. And boy, it's not long before we're having a Holy Ghost hoedown. But let me tell you something. The power of God, while it was in those people, it was not restricted to them. The Holy Spirit and His movement is alive and well in our lives and in the church today. It doesn't hurt to go back and remember those times. That's what the sons of Korah are doing. They're saying, oh, I remember those times when we used to go together with the throng. We were all going for the same thing. We were after, we were moving in the same direction. We were unified in our efforts. We were going to the house of the Lord to praise Almighty God. They were together. They used to shout and they used to sing. To shout means to lift your voices. The scripture says, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. They weren't coming in and just silently sitting in the house of God. No. They were worshiping with every ounce of energy that they had. They were lifting up their voices in praise and honor and worship and valuing the God that they were serving. He said, oh, I remember those times. Let me tell you, we've got to get back to the place where those times that we're remembering was not 25 years ago, but was last week when we gathered in the house of the Lord and people were healed and people were saved and people were delivered from, from opioid addiction and other types of alcohol and drugs uh, in their bodies. I long for the day when I can not just look back and remember, but I can see with my eyes in the right here and the right now, the mighty hand of God at work in our lives. They started by remembering. Some of you have a memory. Some of you have a memory of something that God has done in your life. And it was in that moment when God transformed you and changed you. When God delivered you, you, looked, you, you knew that your life would never be the same. And you made promises to God and you said, oh God, I thank you for what you've done and because of what you've done, I'm never going to turn my back on you. I'm going to always worship you. I'll give you anything that you need from me. And now years removed from the miracle, you have forgotten the electric feeling that you felt when God Almighty did in you and for you and through you what only His power could do. I'm here to tell you today, you've got to get back to that place where God is fresh in your life and you're experiencing His anointing every day. You need to remember 
And then after you remember, you got to redirect, come help me if you will, so I can quit. Sometimes you just got to change directions. Sometimes you got to just stop living in the past and doing what you've done in the past. As beautiful as the past was, you've got to bring that beautiful past into the present now. You can't live on yesterday's blessing. I can't live on yesterday's blessing. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, you know, I remember when. I remember when. I remember when we used to do this. You know what my response always is? Why don't you do it now? I've had people, people in this church come to me and say, oh, pastor, I remember. Every time we get together in the house of the Lord, the minute the worship would begin and the music would begin, people get out of their seats. Start coming up front, standing in the altar, raising their hands, praising the Lord. I remember, I remember, I remember. You know what my answer is to them? Why don't you do it now? I'll come down and join you. In fact, I'll come down first. I've come down before. But I can't get anybody to come with me. I've been asking the class on Wednesday night if they, because we're broken out into groups. I said, if you could sit in this section right here on Wednesday nights, I won't ask you to on Sunday. Just on Wednesday night so that I can see the whites of your eyes. So that you can be close enough. I've asked them I don't know how many times. Every Wednesday night I got them all over the place. Pastor, I remember. Pastor, I remember. Listen, it's time for you to start remembering. Stop remembering and start redirecting some of the things and the habits in your life. Notice what he says in verse 8. Look at verse 8. He said, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Some of you, you think God hates your guts. And the reason you think God hates your guts is because you hate your own guts. Is it okay for me to say that? Can you say guts from the pulpit? I just wasn't sure. Say it when we go fishing all the time. You're going to gut that fish? Some of you are so down on yourself. You hate yourself so much. Or let me, let me bring that back a notch. You dislike yourself so much that you can't even believe that a holy God would love you the way that God loves you. And you know, when you have that mindset, the devil has you right where he wants you to be. Because you'll never be the, God, the person that God wants you to be until you recognize that it is because of his love for you that you are who you are today. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. You need to start loving yourself. Say, you don't know who I've been. It doesn't matter. Think about scripture. Liars, murderers, adulterers, prostitutes, all were recipients of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If God can love Rahab, he can love you. If God can love the apostle Paul who when he was Saul used to kill Christians and thought he was doing it for God. Listen, Abraham 
lied all the time. Dirty dog liar. That's not my wife. It's my sister. Tell you something. That's my sister. She's my sister in the Lord. She's my wife too. I'm not going to lie about it. I'm kind of proud of it. See, the reason Abraham was lying about it was because somebody was getting ready to kill him over it. When we think we're about to lose our life, it's easy to drop back into those stances and those places. But remember the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves you. He cares about you. And it says he commands his love to you every day. (laughs) I like that. You know what that means? Picture this if you can. God is in heaven and he's got his angels up there and he's saying, hey, that one over there, they need a good pat on the back. I need you to go down there and pat them on the back for me. I want this individual to go over there and love on that individual over there because they are the one that can bring blessing into their God's going to send people into your life that can bless you and speak words of wisdom and love and encourage you and edify you and lift you up but the problem is is you've got to be willing to receive it you've got to be willing to say I know that the promise of God which is a yes and amen says that every day God is commanding his love toward me there's never a day day that you'll live that God does not command his love to you God loves you with an everlasting love he's reaching out to you every second of every moment of every day of every week of every month of every year there's never going to be a time in your life when you can escape the reality that God loves you you got to redirect your thinking you got to start thinking like God thinks and then finally when you do that you'll get refreshed verses 5 and 11 why are you cast down on my soul why are you in turmoil within me hope in God for I shall again praise him my salvation and my God why are you cast down today what has you so discouraged today what has you so frustrated today in your life why are you getting up in the morning and just wondering if you're going to be able to make it through this day why why are you cast down why are you discouraged let me encourage you today to hope in God Hope in Him. Hope in Him. Because when you hope in Him, He will encourage you. When you start praising Him, He will encourage you. When you start worshiping Him, He will encourage you. And your soul will be lifted and you'll realize that He is your salvation. What does that mean? Salvation. He's my salvation. Well, you know, Jesus died on the cross and Because he died on the cross and then went into the grave and rose again on the third day, seated at the right hand of the Father where he lives to make intercession for the saints. That's the reason I have salvation. Good point. Sons of Korah didn't have that. Nobody had ever died for their salvation. So when they say he is my salvation, they're saying something else. They're saying that he is my strong deliverer. 
when there is no hope for victory in sight. My God, the one that I'm praising today, he is my strong deliverer. He is my strong tower. I will run to him and I will find hope in him. Will you stand with me this morning? Prayer team, will you come and get in place?